Welcome to another American Bankruptcy Institute podcast. I'm Sam Giordano, ABI Executive Director. The U.S. island territory of Puerto Rico continues to struggle to stabilize its economy following years of financial distress and the devastating impact of last fall's hurricanes. Even before Maria made landfall, Congress enacted PROMESA, a measure hoped to help fix the economic meltdown. Among other features, the 2016 law established an oversight board with fiscal decision-making authority, powers to promote voluntary debt restructuring, and a special title invoking many of the elements of Chapter 9 of the Bankruptcy Code. In May of 2017, the board and government opted for the latter, the so-called Title III remedy authorized by PROMESA. A tidal wave of litigation has followed, mixed in amid charges of fiscal irresponsibility and lack of transparency. Professional fees to law firms and advisory firms surpassed $75 million in the first five months after the Oversight Board invoked the bankruptcy option, costs borne by the government of Puerto Rico. A plan of adjustment is nowhere in sight. Congress isn't happy, neither are bondholders and credit markets. Uh, This probably isn't what those involved in creating PROMESA had in mind. Dr. Andrew Wolf is keenly aware of these developments. He teaches at American University School of International Service, also teaches at Rice University's Baker School. After some 27 years with the IMF, where he was a senior manager of the Western Hemisphere Department, he served as an advisor to governments throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. He studied and written extensively on Puerto Rico's financial condition, its structural problems, and lack of institutional credibility in the markets. He now serves as an economic advisor consultant to the Oversight Board. So welcome, Dr. Wolf, to ABI Podcast. Uh, thank you very much. Well, there are new developments every day uh, in, in Puerto Rico, whether they are are matters of the litigation in the Title III cases or plans by the government to submit a new fiscal plan or in the realm of pure uh, political theater with respect to Puerto Rico's status, um, uh, territory, state, or independence. What can you tell us about the current financial condition on the ground? Well, um, you know, on the ground right now, um, in, in some ways, not the, the, the bottom line and the underlying trends really have not changed from the original fiscal plan 1.0 approved uh, last year. What has happened is you've had a, you know, an enormous catastrophe from, from the dual hurricanes, and it has resulted in the scheduling of a tremendous amount of inflows of uh, federal money for reconstruction. Now, that money, you know, the, the numbers are around $60 billion. Not, not all of it really will be spent in Puerto Rico. In fact, the vast majority won't be spent there. They'll be spent on the mainland to purchase equipment, you know, let's say to replace electrical generators, things like that. Um, but it will be a boost to the economy. Uh, and, and that's kind of uh, creating, let's say, a false optic that things are, are better on the island. Um, you know, from, from a structural point of view, they're not any better than they were a year ago. Um, structural reforms that are desperately needed have not been implemented, and until they're implemented, um, we're not going to see uh, uh, an upturn in growth on a permanent basis. You know, 
right now, the estimate is that the underlying trend is a decline in real activity every year, about 1.2, 1.3%. And my own experience is that, at least on the sovereign level, no country has ever gotten itself out of a, uh, a debt crisis um, without getting uh, economic growth uh, moving in the right direction. And uh, Puerto Rico finds itself right now in, 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 in that baseline situation. I know your, uh, your document, uh, A Way Forward, that you uh, co-authored a couple of years ago, I think speaks a lot to that growth um, prerequisite, and we'll get into that um, in a minute. I, I wanted to also um, uh, direct back to sort of what's, what's happening currently with respect to uh, the forecasts. Okay. The government forecasts that Puerto Rico will only begin paying part of its uh, $72 billion in debt uh, beginning in 2022. From your experience, is it uh, credible to propose a budget that provides no debt service to creditors, particularly when the government's actually increasing um, government spending? So let me, let me take that in, in, in two parts. Uh, the first part, in, in the broader sense, um, you know, how much in the end uh, the government is going to have to pay in debt service and when they're going to start paying in debt service, um, that seems to be in, in large part uh, a legal matter that is kind of beyond uh, the economic analysis that I've been doing. What I can say is that there will be under the current fiscal plan, surpluses generated in the next four or five years. Um, how much of that surplus goes to debt service, um, that's, uh, I guess, the question of the negotiation, the mediation, and maybe even, you know, ultimately the bankruptcy court. Um, in my experience in working in programs in Latin America, and, and I worked extensively in Uruguay and Argentina in the early 2000s, so I have a nice juxtaposition of right. cooperative debt solution and a non-cooperative right. debt solution. But my, my experience there is that, you know, no matter what level of uh, surplus you project out, you're not going to then conclude that, well, that all should go to debt service. Um, you have contingencies that all governments face. Um, obviously, one of the bigger ones in, in Puerto Rico would be, uh, you know, uh, you know, the weather um, and, and future hurricanes. So I think those are issues, you know, that amount and probably when it starts will be determined essentially in, 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 in the negotiation. Um, I don't know uh, the 2022 date. I'm not, you know, I'm not part of the government strategy, so I'm not familiar with with, with that date, uh, you know, as a starting point. Um, but if you look at the fiscal plan itself, the new one that was just approved, you'll see surf positive surpluses, you know, in the years before then. Right. Well, isn't the government sitting on cash in part because it's not paying debt service? Uh, I, I guess so. And then that number, I think, is being reviewed, you know, as we speak by some auditors to find out exactly what it is and how much of it is truly kind of liquid and how much might be uh, funds that are dedicated to some established uh, project or, or entity that's outside of, of this. Um, 
you know, in, in any event, at least, you know, in debt workouts that I've seen, you know, sometimes governments have put down, you know, sort of a cash deposit, and then, you know, of course, that has a pretty high present value, so it's worth a lot. And then off of that, they may reschedule debt, uh, you know, you know, going forward. Um, but again, I, uh, you know, that I think they're just starting to discuss those issues right now. So it's, I can't really say what, where that's going to end up. You um, helped draft the Way Forward uh, blueprint in 2015 with a couple of your colleagues proposing a strategy for economic growth and and confidence. And we've talked a lot about, you know, essentially Puerto Rico growing its uh, top line um, and under a growth strategy. So what were some of the key elements in that um, uh, document? And do you see any of them being implemented by the by the government? Well, I would say that almost everything that we talked about in, in the, in the uh, papers that I wrote with uh, Ann Kruger and Ranjit Teja, almost everything we talked about there is being taken up uh, by the, uh, the fiscal plan um, and probably more more than what we had looked at. I think the two, uh, the biggest issue clearly is uh, labor market reform. Um, the labor participation rate on the island right now is 38%. That is just abysmally low. Um, it's hard to imagine you're going to get, you know, a, a vibrant, growing economy with that kind of a number. I think it's about, you know, one of the bottom 20 labor participation rates in, in the world uh, jurisdictionally, um, and that includes countries that are at war. So. <laughs> It's really bad. And I think the lowest state is West Virginia. It's about 53. So, you know, it's even well below, uh, uh, you know, within the U.S. uh, confines as well. So, I, you know, the the key reforms that are there, you know, you're talking about both on the labor supply and the labor demand side because you have to get, essentially people are working. It's not as if, you know, 62% of the island is just sitting at home, you know, doing nothing. You have a, a significant portion of the economy um, that, uh, I, uh, through those technicals, had estimated at 25% of, of total GNP of an informal sector that, you know, pays very little taxes, uh, protects workers at, at you know, in, in no way. And the idea of the the fiscal plan is to kind of get those people in and those shop owners and all, and all in that sector into the formal sector, and so that you could actually, you know, raise the tax base uh, in part to, that will, you know, in part some of it will in part go for the debt service. Um, but you you've got to get these people uh, into the formal sector, and so you're you're looking at uh, policies to incentivate laborers to move in that direction, earned income tax credit and some work requirements uh, on food stamps. And then that's all great, but you've got to get firms to want to hire them. And so there's reforms envisaged on the uh, on the uh, demand side. And, and in the fiscal plan, you're talking there about uh, moving toward an employment that will state, like Florida, you know, one of the major competitors. Uh, right now, it's very costly uh, to hire people, 
not because the wage rate is particularly high, but it's costly because if you ever need to get rid of a worker, it's you know the severance slash um, uh, litigation costs, uh, potential litigation costs could be quite steep. So firms just say, you know, it's just not worth it to hire people uh, on the margin today if I'm not sure I'm going to need them two, three years from now. And then things, then there are very excessive legally mandated uh, uh, vacation days and sick leave days and uh, and a Christmas bonus. Christmas bonus, which, right. Yeah, which really just binds the low end, but so many Puerto Rican labor laborers are at, you know, are squeezed toward the lower end of the wage spectrum. And, you know, the ultimate example is a, a minimum wage worker. You know, you if you tell the boss you have to pay a 13th month uh, of, of salary, it's not like the boss can lower their wage and just spread their cost out over 13 months instead of 12, which is what happens at the higher end. Um, it really does add, add to the, the cost of hiring, uh, especially low-wage low workers. So that, that I say, is, is, is the most important. And, you know, we, we're, we've estimated that that could give you a, a full point of growth on an annual basis permanent growth uh, with that kind of steep uh, labor market reform. Well, how likely are those labor market reforms um, going to be implemented by the government? On the uh, issue of uh, passing the labor reforms, including the employment at will, um, there's good news on that front in that the the board and the the government have reached an agreement um, to, to move ahead with that reform. So uh, that's quite positive news. What do you think, um, if I can ask you to forecast uh, the the uh, future here, um, what what do you think the prospects for recovery are, um, particularly as measured by a reentry to to credit markets in a meaningful way? Is this going to require a a kind of a federal a bailout, a bailout with strings attached, a forced haircut of bondholders. What are the, what are the pieces? Do you think um, that could that could lead to um, a way out? Uh, in in the broad the broad question of, of like reaccessing the markets, I would say that at a minimum, mar- markets are going to have to see that the fiscal plan is evolving as kind of projected, and that to the extent that it isn't, but remedial measures are kind of taken, you know, in time to make sure it does keep moving in the right direction. Um, You know, I I don't see, you know, regaining market access until that time, and that, for me, is totally consistent, you know, even in the case of the the cooperative uh, um, agreement with Uruguay met you know, with its creditors in, in the early 2000s, they didn't get access right away to the market. It took a couple of years and a huge paper mill investment by uh, Botany and the Finnish company to, to ensure that the growth was going to really occur before I think markets uh, decided to get back in. So, um, you know, I, I, I think that's going to take time um, to convince people that, you know, that they actually are on the road a viable and sustainable uh, debt situation. Um, on the issue, um, uh, 
on the general issue of, uh, of you know, how long that will be, you know, I, you know, I, it, it better be pretty quick. Um, I don't see any federal bailout uh, coming. Um, I don't know if the amount of surplus projected is going to be enough to reach sort of a negotiated solution or this is going to end up in the court. Um, uh, I, I think, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're on the cusp of that, uh, that, that edge where, you know, there's enough money to satisfy people to take at least a voluntary reduction uh, or, or not. Um, and then, and you probably know this much better than me, the creditors themselves have to figure out, you know, what they're, you know, who's entitled to what. Um, it's, it's hard to figure out how much money is, is, is the right amount of money, uh, how I see it. Because I don't even know which creditor group, uh, you know, it, it has rights and, 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 and to, to what they're claiming. Um, that seems to be also still an open question. Right. Well, there are three three main groups, I suppose. There's the general obligation bondholders, the uh, COFINA, um, and then you have the the kind of uh, labor costs, legacy costs, workers, former workers, on the pension side. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. And then there's all kinds of other kinds of debt that was issued, you know, HDA and and uh, Prepa. And, right. Yeah. So. There's a lot going on, uh, you know, and sorting out those claims as well. If there's no appetite, for, and I don't think there is, for a uh, a bailout in the at least a traditional sense coming from Washington, um, how about changes to uh, tax policies to um, incentivize um, a, a rebirth of the growth uh, that the island experienced um, years ago? Kind of a fundamental question um, for the island's future. You know, I kind of look at the island as, in some ways, having been fall. Uh, you know, it was kind of a, a false creation of a manufacturing uh, haven through U.S. tax policy, mm-hmm. um, and I attribute a lot of that um, to the Cold War and sort of the. The anti-Cuba example for the Caribbean. Um, so you have the Soviets, you know, creating this fictional place called Cuba uh, with a lot of just direct aid, and the U.S. government creating this uh, diversified manufactured uh, economy in the Caribbean through tax policy. Right. And that probably would have been okay, you know, from the Puerto Rican point of view, if they had not gotten rid of that policy once the Cold War ended. Right. Um, and so I'm a, I'm very reluctant as, as an economics of it to say, oh, you should try to go back to Congress and get some of those tax breaks again, because who knows, you know, 20 years from now, somebody will take them away again. I, I think the way to get this on a sustainable basis is to actually try to, to get the investment environment correct uh, on the island, and then someone will come. I don't know who. I'm pretty sure you'll probably get an expanded tourism sector, which right now is only 6% of GNP, which 
for an island in the Caribbean right. is not what you want. <laughs> um, you know, e- e- even the DR and, and Jamaica, which have somewhat diversified economies, you know, compared to other islands in the Caribbean, you know, tourism is 25-35% of G- GDP in those places. Um, so six, six is crazy. Um, uh, so I, there's definitely room for that sector uh, to expand if, if, if the environment is, is, is right. And so, you know, I always point, and, and my co- colleague Anne used to always talk about this, you know, when the Finns in the 90s decided to try to, you know, rework their business environment, they, they did it through structural reform of regulations and, 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 and tax, taxation, but they didn't do it with, oh, if we do this, you know, firm X or industry Y will come to us. They just kind of got it right, and nobody at the time thought that they would become a cell phone manufacturing center. But um, So who knows what would come to the island if they get it right. I think that's the smarter way to go than to go back to the Congress and, and try to recreate uh, an economy based on a policy that in the end can be taken away again. Right. You know, it, it is no... No, uh, if you look at the data, it's just so striking. You know, in 96, they take away the tax break and they phase it out over 10 years. And you just start to see the economy level off. And then 2006, when it completely goes away, you know, they never grew positively in any year except one, and that was a half a percent in the rebound year from the 2008-9 financial crisis, yeah. which is just abysmal. So um, I, I, I'm, I'm afraid of that. I, 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 my, I think that um, you have this other complication going on here that, you know, the federal government seems to be fairly adamant about not bailing out the island, and therefore, um, you know, they don't want to see any money going to the island that somehow or other ends up in, in, in repaying debt. And that's difficult because money's fungible. Um, and, you know, it, to the extent that they, you know, were to give uh, additional federal money for any program, you know, unless it required a full offset of new spending on the island, implicitly it's, you know, money that would, you know, go into the deposits and, 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 and would, you know, Theoretically, in the, in the in the legal battle, become part of the the resources that could be attached. So, um, I find that discussion and the role of Congress, you know, really unrealistic and unhelpful, and uh, uh, pro- very problematic for this whole process here. Um, you know, the the U.S. Congress, this one and past ones, you know, they're not. They are not uh, without blame for what's happened to the island. You know, we still have a, 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 sea, a sea Act from 1922, I believe, oh, yeah. <laughs> that, that raises the cost of sure. to, the, to, to Puerto Rico and not to the Virgin Islands. It doesn't right. apply to the Virgin Islands. I mean, these, these kind of rules are crazy. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, I, it was very, very striking when I first started working on Puerto Rico 
I asked to see what the kind of organic law of the territories are for the United States to see, you know, what, what, what happens in other places, and it turns out there is none. Right. So American Samoa only recently has become required to pay a minimum wage. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's all over the place, and uh, that's not, not helpful. Uh, right, right. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, uh, Puerto Rico in particular um, has some unique... Um, legal provisions that um, I think have um, severely handicapped uh, their, you know, their their way forward, and obviously the Jones Act is is one of them. Um, but whether or not uh, Congress can see clear to um, comprehensively deal with uh, with the labor side, and as you mentioned earlier, um, and um, right sizing some of these other laws that inhibit a competitive uh, growth economy, um, uh, I'm not terribly uh, optimistic. I think the hope was that um, PROMESA would create a, uh, an environment where the uh, local government could, um, with, the, with the help of the advisor, uh, oversight board, you know, make these decisions in a in a, in a way forward that is that is helpful. Um, so far, um, alas, that hasn't been uh, been the case. Yeah, that you know that there's a really uh, embedded in what you said is is a very important point in terms of the experience of how these reforms get implemented and whether they they work. Um, you know, when the in, in when the IMF. You know, they used to always be accused of, you know, just coming in and imposing right. their policies. And, mm-hmm. and, 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 and what that got to was that there was no buy-in by the government. And in the end, you know, as an outside entity, you can only do so much and ask for so much, but it's really the people on the island that have to implement the stuff. Right. And so, I, you know, you, you can have, uh, you know, part of, I think, the reason why we really need to to have the government in sync with, with the board on a lot of this is that it's going to be the government in the end that implements it. And if they're not really, the heart's not into it, you know, the, the risk that it just doesn't work out as well goes up. And, um, you know, that, that implementation risk of the program, is, especially in the next few years, is, is, is a very important uh, risk uh, to, to try to mitigate. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, for me, I, I think it's been really positive that the board has tried uh, as hard as it can to sit with the government and come up with a, 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 a plan that the government at least feels it's as much their plan as the board's plan, and they would be behind it. Well, on that uh, note of reality, <laughs> I think... <laughs> Uh, that's about all the time we have. We thank Andrew Wolf for being our guest. Uh, thank you very much for the time. For ABI members following daily developments on Puerto Rico, please consult our continually updated Puerto Rico in Distress website at abi.org newsroom. And note also that our newsroom also contains an on-demand 24-7 archive of more than 200 podcasts like this on various bankruptcy developments. And so until next time, this is Sam Giordano, for ABI Podcasts, saying good day.